things pregnancy, parenting, and politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and so much more. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, and Mom's Side of the Story, the journal companion that helps you write your experience of pregnancy, prenatal care, and birth, and centers you as the leading character in your baby's life story. So how's everybody doing this week? Um, It's the week of President Trump's impeachment trial, and frankly, I'm pretty disheartened. Um, Yes, Senate opposition to hearing from witnesses and releasing documents is going precisely as we all expected, Um, complete opposition, but I'm always hopeful that a few enlightened Republicans will break out a lockstep and vote their conscience with an open mind and the willingness to examine all the evidence. That's not what's happening so far, though. And while I'm not surprised, I am totally bummed. Um, So if what happens is what I assume will happen, uh, the president will not be removed from office, and our only hope to stop this presidential disaster is to vote, vote, vote to flip the Senate from a majority Republican to a majority Democrat. Um, That's only going to take four senatorial seats to be filled with Democrats instead of Republicans uh, to make that change. Now, for those of us who are rusty on how this works, it's like this. Here's your your basic civics 101 for this week. Um, Senators' terms, they're elected in for six years. Right now, we have 53 Republican senators, 45 Democratic senators, and two independents. That means that the Republicans are in the majority, so their votes on issues like the impeachment trial and lots of issues that affect women, parents, and families, um, they're in the majority. They win. Health issues, education issues, employment issues, tax and financial issues, climate issues, housing, all kinds of things that are directly related to our lives as women and parents, their opinion rules. Now, every two years, a third of the hundred senators, there's two senators per state, a third of those seats are up for re-election. That means that in November of 2020, this year, 35 senators are going to be up for re-election. Now, normally that would be 33 or 34 senators, a third of the Senate, but there are two seats up for special election, the one vacated by John McCain when he died and the one vacated by Johnny Isaacson when he resigned. Um, So 35. That'll be 23 Republicans who will have to campaign this year to keep their seats and 12 Democrats. Um... You know, I, I see huge possibilities here that we can shift the entire fabric that our country is made out of if we can flip the Senate to a Democrat-Republican or a Democrat majority. So for the past six years with the Republicans as the majority in the House and especially with Mitch McConnell as the Senate majority leader, Most pieces of legislation that the Republican majority and current president aren't supportive of, they're just blocked or shot down. Even legislation that's been passed into law in the House, um, the House is our congressmen and congresswomen, um, McConnell won't even let these issues be voted on. So there's no chance for them going into law. And that's what's happening right now in this trial. He won't allow for evidence to be presented, um, which most likely will mean that the president will be acquitted of his impeachment and will not be removed from office until he's voted out in November 2020, along with the majority Republican Senate. That's our big, big hope for turning policies around that penalize people like you and me who work for a living and trying to raise our families and pay for health care and educations and daycare. This is super important, people. If you have not been politically active previously previously in your life, now is the most important time to get started. If you're expecting a baby or already have a family, 
this is how we'll determine what kind of a country and world that child will grow up in. Will it be one where they can survive and thrive or not? Now, y'all know I'm not normally an alarmist, and my motto is generally that everyone needs to calm down, but not this time. This time, everyone needs to rise up, voice their opinions, and vote for the world they want our babies to live in. Now, some of you are wondering if I'm just talking to a Democratic or liberal audience here, and no, I am not. I know lots and lots of Republicans whom I respect, listen to, and admire. I know that a lot of my listeners are Republicans. Most of them are astonished by what's happening under this president and Senate and horrified by the policies this administration is putting in play. They're shocked, just like I am. But will they vote for a non-Republican president come November? That's the big question, isn't it? Many of the people that I've spoken with say, yes, they'll vote for anyone who isn't Trump. They'll vote for sen senators who aren't Democrats, too, because they know this administration has to be stopped. And if Congress won't stop them, then citizens must, even if that means voting against their party. Um, I've talked to a lot of Republicans who say that's going to be the first step in taking their party back and turning it into the government of the people and what it used to stand for. Now, I know this is confusing, and I want to help you all understand it a little more so you can make your own best decisions, just like we do with all our pregnancy and parenting topics, right? So, do me a favor, will ya? Find out if your senator is up for re-election in your state, and find out if he or she is Republican. Then find out who the Democratic candidate is and consider strongly voting for him or her. It's urgent, folks. Then, campaign for presidential candidates who are running to unseat Trump. Vote in your primary elections to narrow the field down to the one who will be up against Trump in November. And then, for God's sake, vote against Trump and for a new chance for our country to do the right thing. There. That's our politics segment this week. Oh, and for the person who emailed me to say, stick to pregnancy information, honey, not politics. I didn't sign up for that. Well, yes, you did. The name of the podcast is Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics. There are lots of pregnancy-only podcasts out there. Give a listen to them if you don't want a dose of politics. But let me tell you, politics are deeply involved in your lives as parents, whether you listen to this podcast or not. That's just common sense. That's my rant for the week. Let's take a real quick break and then come on back for this week's guest. Okay, we're back. Rosie Acosta is an international speaker, a yoga and meditation teacher, a yoga teacher trainer, as well as the founder of Radically Loved. She's also the host of Radically Loved Radio. Rosie Acosta about a topic so many of you have faced infertility, or difficulty getting or staying pregnant. About 50 million couples worldwide have or are dealing with infertility, yet it's a topic a lot of people hesitate to talk about. That's what Rosie and I are chatting about this week, so let's get Rosie on the line. Hi, Rosie. It's Jeannie. Hi, Jeannie. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing really well. So um, you're in LA. I'm in Portland. I'm having yes. blue, sunny weather. How about you? We are sunny and 70 degrees. No, I'm just kidding. It's not 70 degrees, <laughs> but it is It is sunny outside, which is really nice. But it's, it's about 50 degrees right now, so not too, not too warm. Which is freezing for LA weather, right? That's when people bring out the parkas. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, even living, even living up in Portland when I was up there, it took me a minute to, you know, get used to the weather up there when it would get cold because I was, I was not used to it. I don't actually think I owned a proper coach. So it was, uh, it was definitely took, took some getting used to, but then once I was up there, it was awesome because I, I could be like the people that I would always look at 
going into Fred Meyer, like wearing a t-shirt, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I was always really jealous. And then I finally got to a place where I felt pretty, pretty good. acclimated to the weather. It was nice. I remember when I first moved up here to Portland from Los Angeles a million years ago, I had never lived any place that rained as much as it did here. And we really thought that you could only go out and about the city if you were wearing waterproof shoes. So that was like our first investment was we went and got, you know, Timberland, Timberland shoes. Everything was waterproof. And then, you know, after the first year, we realized, no, just, you know, pull on your Converse and go. <laughs> yeah. We adjusted. Oh, funny. Yeah. 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 So I read your bio before we picked up the line here today. So are you ready for the big first hard question? Yes. Okay. No, but yes. <laughs> I like asking the hard ones first. <laughs> Who are you and what do you do? I am a yoga and meditation teacher. I am an inspirational speaker. I am a certified holistic health coach. I'm a podcast host of Radically Loves Radio, and um, my most important job is to be a dog mom. That's my favorite, mm -hmm. uh, what I do, who I am, and that's that's basically, you know, that's, that's it. I, I love to teach yoga and meditation. I travel all over the world teaching how these yogic modalities can help us live a helpful and more fulfilling life. Yeah, you kind of got my dream life. I love it. About uh, about that dog mom well, it's part. Funny. We can we can we can switch. Oh really? Okay. All yeah. right. All right. But about that dog mm -hmm. mom part, don't you have a puppy? Yes, we we recently rescued a uh, a pit bull who at the time was six weeks old. He's now six months and is huge I we've never I mean I had I've had a big dog when I was little like I was probably five or six and it's been a while since we've had with Tori and I have owned together a, a bigger dog so it's really interesting to get used to because he is massive <laughs> and um yeah it's great he's but he's a he's still a baby so he has a lot of you know just puppy temperaments and it's it's just, it's super cute. And I'm, I just love him so much. His name's Chowder. Chowder. That's so cute. Mm -hmm. And pit bulls mm -hmm. are just the sweetest dogs that they kind of remain. Oh my goodness. They remain big babies for life. Don't they? Yeah, they really do. And it's interesting because I've done so much research around this particular breed. And I, I feel like they do really get a bad rap, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, they couldn't be any more sweet, loving, gentle. He is just a sweet baby boy. I mean, he sleeps in bed with us. He he minds really well. He he's we we've trained him really well. So and we can communicate with him. He knows when it's bedtime. He knows when it's his nap time. He knows how to identify each the different toys we've named them all <laughs> and he knows like how to bring the specific one like we have um uh, linus and eddie and <laughs> mr fluffy and he knows who the each individual uh toy is and it's just so it's like it's fascinating they're they're humans dogs are humans mm. Okay, you and I could talk about dogs all day. And seriously, just in hearing you talk about Chowder, I've got like three or four questions for you. But we're here to talk about other things. So we're going to have to move on from Dogland, sadly to say. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, I know. I'm a little sad. Tell me a little bit about your career <laughs> path. How did you How did you find yourself where you are right now? Well, that is... I'm like, how much time do we have? Because you know that this takes <laughs> a long time. I so I grew up in East Los Angeles during the LA riots during a time that it was extremely chaotic. There was uh, just a lot of unsettling energy. There was 
a lot of, um, it was just a lot of chaos. There was a lot of dysfunction. There was, uh, we lived in an area that there were, were constant domestic violence incidences and it just was a extremely chaotic uh, upbringing. I lived with a really extremely loving family. Both my parents are immigrants and my, my father came from Mexico and my mom was from Spain and they met and my dad just became this like person to take in people that were in, in transit because he just had such a big heart and he always wanted to just help people trying to create a better life, you know, for themselves. And that's the reason why they came to the U S and unfortunately they lived in an area. We lived in an area where it was extremely um, chaotic and it was just a, not a great place. They had obviously trying to get their, their feet uh, grounded. They had to struggle to, to make ends meet like a lot of families do. And growing up in that environment really created uh, a deep-rooted uh, disconnection and uh, dysfunction within me that I didn't realize until I got older. When I was a teenager, I began to suffer from debilitating panic attacks and anxiety, and nobody could figure out why. Nobody knew what the reasons were, why I couldn't sleep, why I was having a really hard time in school, why I just I didn't, I had this uh, crippling fear of leaving the house. It was just extremely uh, debilitating. And they finally took me to a doctor that then referred me to a psychiatrist that diagnosed me with, with PTSD. And at the time, you know, nobody really could figure out why it was happening and what was going on. And there was all kinds of other factors. I was also beginning to become influenced by my environment. I was ditching school. I was kind of like in this phase of acting out. And obviously for me, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was just sort of reacting to my upbringing. It was the culmination of everything, the erosion of the environment that I was in. It was just manifesting in my body. And so during that time, my mom was working at the Children's Hospital in Hollywood at the time, and her friend recommended that I try meditation because she had heard that meditation helped with anxiety because that's, that was like back in the mid-90s, this was not, you know, or late 90s, this wasn't something that was really talked about a lot, and my mom came home with these pamphlets that were all about meditation and yoga and anxiety and stress and manifesting the life that you want. And it just seemed so attractive to me. I was really curious about it. And one day I decided to uh, ditch school and go to the Self-Realization Fellowship, which is where all the pamphlets were from. Mm -hmm. And I walked into this temple, this, this, the lecture hall and everybody was just so nice everybody was really open and it was saying hello to me and I, I didn't feel like I was an outsider at all I didn't feel like I didn't belong it was really welcoming it had a, a kinship to just walking into a church and well, for me, you know, walking into a Catholic church because I've walked into other churches, I've not yeah. actually felt that. So I, I want to clarify. Um, and I, I sat down and, and the woman that was giving the lecture was talking about how we are responsible for our own happiness and we have the right to be here and that we are supported and we have everything we need with us in this, in this moment at this very time. And it felt really empowering. Her words were really striking a chord because it was giving words to something internally I felt and I had known for my entire life, but I just could never articulate it. And everything around me was showing me the opposite. But it was the first time that somebody was saying the words that felt true, that resonated with a deep part of who I was. 
and that was it. That that's really all it took for me to begin my path, so to speak, my my spiritual journey to discovering yoga and all the new age modalities. I got into learning about crystals and numerology and uh, you know spiritual paths of connection and different learning about you know, all the different facets of yoga and Ayurveda. And I started to learn more about nutrition and food and how that was impacting my body and how my body was feeling. And it was a very slow process through the, my late teens, early twenties until I decided that I wanted to, um, well, somebody in that interim recommended that I start to actually practice physical asana like yoga and to me I, I was already practicing yoga it just it wasn't physical asana it was the philosophical uh, modalities of of the practice I was just learning about how to be kind and learning about the eight limbs of yoga and just trying to lead a a, a good life and the minute that I started to explore the physical practice is when I realized that we needed all of the components. I had never connected to my body and my breath in the way that I did when I practiced yoga, asana, right? When I would practice the forms. So that spawned me to take my first yoga teacher training and I did, and it just made me create more curiosity and it made me crave more and and I knew that I wanted to be in the space of health and wellness and so I it took a long time I'm like a slow burn type of person everything took a really long time I know I'm just saying this in a chronological order but it it all really took a long time for me to get to a place where I knew that this is what I wanted to do and it's what I wanted to teach and after uh, the recession in 2008 is when I decided to take the plunge to become a, a teacher, a full, full on. Uh, that was all that I was doing to become a, a yoga teacher and a, a health coach. And I've been doing it ever since. And, and this is where we are now Just it, talking about how amazing it is. You know, it's always funny when I'm talking to you that, um, there's always something that you say that I realize, oh, I was just down the street from you when that happened. Like the Self-Realization Fellowship um, Church, that, that place up in Hollywood, right? Yeah. Yeah. I lived down on Rowena. That What? Yes. Right down the street from it. In a little wow. apartment. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked before about how your mom worked at Children's Hospital in L.A. At the yeah. same time, I worked across the street at um, Queen of Angels Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital as a labor nurse. And wow. It's, yeah, you were growing up in, during the L.A. riots in an area of town where I, I went to nursing school at L.A. County Hospital. We just have all of these across-the-street connections. It's really remarkable. That is... Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like, that's so bizarre. I know. Right? right? I, I mean, know. how does that happen? I don't yeah, know. Like, this is it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because I, I feel like that's happened to me in the last year where I've, I've connected with people that, you know, you rarely meet people from LA in LA. Mm -hmm. It's always you, you meet people that, but I've met like three or four different people in the last year that have all been, that have all grew up kind of in the same area that I did. We didn't go to the same schools, but we we're in the same area or vicinity. We knew, you know, all the local hangs and all the, the things to do the video. We're talking about the vi video stores and yeah. having these experiences going to rent videos. And I just, it's so fascinating that this is happening. I wonder I'm like, I go to this place, Jeannie, where I'm like, what does it mean? What does it all mean? I know. Does I it know. mean anything? I know. You know? Did you ever eat at Manuel's El Tepeyac on Evergreen? I don't know. It sounds familiar, but okay. I, I don't know. Okay. All right. Maybe. Again, we could meander for a while, you and I. But Yeah, we can. So you and I have known each other for a little while now, but I didn't know until you wrote a recent blog 
that you've been on a real journey lately to become a mother. And in, yes. yeah, and you open your blog with a statement that I want to read, if that's okay. Yeah. Okay. You wrote, I've been pretty elusive about my health the last two years. And although I know those that are close to me know what's been going on, I think it's time for me to share this. Like many women out there, I've been struggling with fertility for the last two years. So a lot of women are reluctant to share or talk about their fertility journeys. And I wonder if you can share with our listeners some of your reasons why you didn't want to you didn't want to be open about it or you didn't want to share it. Yeah, I think I think the majority of it was just coming from a place of being just being in the experience and feeling like I was still processing what was happening and I I felt like saying it out loud would make it real and I I don't know that I necessarily wanted it to be real. Yeah. I I kept feeling like if I like a lot of not a lot I a, a good I have a good group of friends that have all been through a similar process and I never knew that until I started to share that I was going through this. And I'm like, why did I not know that you guys had gone through this or were going through this? Because nobody ever talks about it. And I, there's one friend in particular who's also going through the same process that I am. And she's, uh, she lives on the East Coast. And we would have these conversations about how she wanted to share about her journey when she was on the other side of it. And which I, I, I agreed. I'm like, yeah, this is a really important topic to discuss. It just felt like it was a little too raw and real in the process. And I, I really had this expectation of sharing my process once I was on the other side, once I was pregnant and, and had, you know, a healthy baby on the way. And I could say, yeah, this wasn't an easy process. And that that was the romanticized idea of how I wanted to come out with this information. And obviously that's not, that wasn't what happened. That wasn't the case, which I'm glad that it, it wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I shared what I shared now because I am still in the process and so many women out there are in the process. And I think that what prompted me to share it was, you know, knowing that there are women out there. I was one of the women that was searching for blogs or people on Instagram that were going through the same thing. And the problem with that for me was that although I was so happy for people's success and happiness, I, I would still feel inadequate when I would see that the end result was always like, and we got pregnant, you know, like, and mm -hmm. now this happened, you know, so I, I was trying to search for the women that, number one, were still in the process, just like I was. Like right now, they're still in the process. Or two, that decided that maybe that wasn't the path they wanted to go down. Or three, could, couldn't have children at all, mm -hmm. couldn't birth their own children at all. And those were the, the women that I was searching out. And, and I couldn't find very many, you know. So you decided to be one of those women yourself for other women. Yeah. I mean, I just, yeah, I just felt like there's somebody out there that is feeling the same way. And I just want that person to, to know that they're not alone, that yeah. there is somebody else out there that is in the, in the trenches, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Other women that I've talked to that have, that are, have gone through this experience also share that they don't want to talk to other people about it because then other people will offload their um, sympathy or their advice or, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they take your experience and somehow make it their own and then apply mm -hmm. their own lens to it, which just makes it, yeah, it can make it a lot harder. They intend to yeah, be really helpful, but it isn't necessarily helpful. 
Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I totally agree with that. And I, and I was the same. I felt the same. I, I didn't want to subject myself to unsolicited advice or opinions or to hear the, the, uh, the pacification of my experience to say it's going to be fine or you'll get pregnant or don't worry about it. Or the minute they, I have a friend that the minute she stopped trying just like you, she got pregnant. It's like, okay. Yeah. Thank you. That's still, that's, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that's still creating a a certain level of expectation. It's better to just show your support by listening and just being there for, for a person going through this in a supportive way to say like, Hey, like that's, you know, thank you for sharing that or, how can I help? How could I um, aid in your process? Like, let's go have a tea or let's just, you know, do you need a hug or let's go to a class or here's this funny meme. Just something to sort of let the person know that you're, you're there, that you're not trying to minimize. You're not trying to take, take this experience and make it their own. And, it's a, it's a very, it's a weird place to be in. It's interesting because even in putting, putting that out there, I still, even though I knew I was opening myself up, I was, I still got a, a, a substantial amount of emails with people referring me to doctors or certain websites or a certain way of eating or, uh, a certain mantra to do or a certain meditation and you know part of my cynicism is to roll my eyes and say of course I've already done all this you know I it's been two years I've had two years to obsess and dwell on it and and look at all the different factors involved in women's health and and I'm still learning and that's to me that's part of the beauty of going through this is that I am still in the process of learning and I, and I, I am not shying away from learning about my body. I just don't want to look at it like there's something is wrong with it anymore. I think that was the whole point. That was the whole purpose of me putting it out there. It's like, I am not broken. I am not less of a woman. I am, I'm not alone. And, and I will, I, I want to be a, a mother. I, I have other friends that have gone through this that they're okay with not ever having children. And that's that's great. For me, I know I want to be a mother and I will be a mother. And it just might not look the way that traditionally it looks for everybody else. And, and that's okay. Yeah. And and I'm okay with that. And I've I've really come to to accept that wholeheartedly. And, and I'm so open and I'm still extreme. I, that's not to say I... I no longer want to birth my own child. Of course I absolutely do, but I'm just, I have a different, different energy around it. There's, there's no longer the expectation that I was holding for the last two years where in a sense I was willing my body to function so hard in this specific way. And it wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And so I started to rebel against it, which I know, you know, part of my journey in this rebelling against my physicality. That's like, that's like a temp, it's a, it's a uh, familiar path for me. It's my default state mm-hmm. to rebel against my body because it's, it just, it's like this thing isn't working for me. So why should I care about it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that that's something that's really common for a lot of women, you know, because we have these standards yeah. in society that our bodies are supposed to look like and perform in certain ways. And it, Oh yeah. Yeah. It doesn't happen like that for so many women. Let's take a quick, quick break. Okay. We're back. So yeah, you wrote in your blog about how you had, you started this journey by kind of reverse engineering a birth so that you wouldn't be full term or newly postpartum during your busy travel season which is a super practical technique that works great for some women, you know, because of work or family or other reasons. But it, when it didn't work for you, 
how did you start adjusting? You know, you how did you start adjusting to a different outcome? Oh man, like I I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't, didn't adjust. I, I I didn't. I think that the desire was for me to just be completely resilient and just bounce back and just, just keep keep it moving. You just know, keep like trying just to barrel keep, through. Just yeah, just keep climbing. Like that's I'm really good at just reaching for the next rung. Like I've done it my entire life, so it, it's a familiar way of just sort of pummeling through the issue. But but it it was definitely definitely leaving some uh some resonance behind that was creating a a deep level of sadness and uh depression i think it it created this really um unsatisfying unsavory unsettling discomfort unease just not good feeling and for me, when I'm in, when I go into that and that's sort of operating in the subconscious or in the background of my life, everything else gets affected. Mm-hmm. So it was things, things would fall apart little by little plans would fall through or something with my business would go wrong or a trip would get canceled. And then, you know, it just, it just kind of seemed like there was always, I basically for the last two years I had been trudging through the mud like for everything and I feel like once you're in that belief system you're in that mindset Mm -hmm. that's where you'll be like you just know that everything's going to be really difficult like you just have no expectation at that point like you are almost expecting to be disappointed because you know, it's this constant, I was just talking to one of my, I just did a interview for yoga journal about this actually for their, their podcast about how every month it was the up and down of the disappointment. And it's like, okay, there's another month of putting me out now another nine months. If this happens, if this doesn't happen, the up and down of like, am I pregnant? Am I not pregnant? Now I don't have my period. Now my, my hormones are all off balance. Now I have to wait to get my period. Now I got my period. Now I'm going to try and get pregnant again. Now I haven't got my period. Now I'm pregnant. You know, it's just like this constant, constant of my body and my body then getting pregnant, but not being able to stay pregnant. Like it was just so hard and physically, like physically really just challenging. I mean, the, the last miscarriage that I had was at, almost seven weeks or seven and a half weeks, I think. And at that point, it's like your body starts to change everything, your boobs change, everything starts to change. And then your body just needs to process everything out. Right. And it just needs time. And unfortunately for me at that time, I, I wasn't giving my body time to heal because I was mad at it. I was angry at Mm. the fact that my body couldn't do what I needed it to do. And so I was just going to keep pushing it. I was going to keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until I got to middle of last year. And I just said, I can, I have to stop. I have to stop. Like I cannot, I can no longer be in a state where I am trying to make this happen so hard that it's, it's affecting everything. It's affecting everything in my life, my relationships, everything. And because I didn't talk about it, nobody knew what what was, I would just like disappear. If it didn't, if I, if it didn't have to do anything with work, I I would just disengage from every, everything, my family, my friends, like I just was so not present, you know? You know, I think a lot of people um, who are unfamiliar with fertility issues think of it as more of a problem where you can't get pregnant, but you're among the many, 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 many women who can get pregnant, but can't stay pregnant. And, um, Mm -hmm. which I think maybe exacerbates this hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment cycle that, that you Mm -hmm. get into. And so you told me that your your physicians described it as um, that you had developed ovarian insufficiency, which 
I just fucking hate the terms that healthcare uses to describe women's bodies. Ovarian insufficiency. It's like the labor term failure to progress or cervical incompetence. Jesus. I mean, we can describe these things without framing women's bodies as losers, which is sort of part of the mission I'm on to quit picking on women and start framing our health experiences in less derogatory terms. But, you know, back to my question can you describe a little bit about how um, how your ovaries were were not up to the job? Yeah, so so I had been diagnosed by my fertility doctor that I had low ovarian reserves and low ovarian function, and at the time I had a low AMH. Uh, which I, I don't, I can't even, I don't remember exactly what it is. It's a hormone. And I think you, right. you would probably know more. Right. Um, it was at a, it was at a point Oh one. And then I had a high FSH of 18. And so I think that AMH was the more eggs and ovarian uh, function. I think it just has to do more with like taking hormones in order to make my eggs grow and that kind of thing and so that's when I started to kind of see the reality of you know and they call it it's a geriatric pregnancy once you get to like 35 right right once you're in your 30s which again it's like can we can we like change you know (laughs) can we just not um and so the the FSH is 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 what I believe tells the the brain tells the ovary what to do and I believe 18 where I was at was too high and so the the chances of getting pregnant were really low um and so the doctor was just basically telling me that there was there was a a limit to what they could do like there wasn't very much that they could do like they're extremely limited and my my current condition was uh, at the time I was getting these tests I was 34 and, you know, they were telling me that my ovarian function was that of like a 39 or a 40 year old. And so they were just not really being extremely positive about my results. And and at this point we had already done all of the, um, all of the, you know, testing, the gene testing, Tori had done all his testing, everything else was, was fine. It was just this, this was the issue. And and they basically kind of just shrugged their shoulders. Like there's really, I mean, you can try to do IVF or the IUI and just maybe see the odds are not great already, but you know, you, you can, basically do what you want Mm -hmm. and at that point it's a really challenging decision because we're not I mean I'm a I'm self-employed and so is my partner and I do have health insurance but I don't have fertility health insurance and a lot of women out there going through this also may not have fertility insurance and it makes it really challenging you know we are fortunately in a position where we do have a choice to to make these decisions if we choose to make them, but it really, you have to just really consider how, what you're willing to put your body through. And for a woman, I'll speak for myself, but when you're in that position and you're so just desperate to get pregnant, like you will try anything. You'll try anything. You'll try everything. You're willing to sell your house and your car and whatever it takes. In fact, a lot of the women that I connected with and that I uh, became friends with, some of them have done this several times. They've invested hundreds and thousands of dollars on uh, fertility treatments mm-hmm. and some of them to, to no avail. And, you know, a handful of them, it, it worked out. And yeah. I just, I feel like, to me, it's not, I'm not even there yet. I'm not even at that mindset yet. I'm, I'm still in the process of just trying to come to a resolve with my 
body and trying to help my body and heal my body and feel good about my body and, and where I'm at, as opposed to feeling the way I was, the brokenness feeling. It's like, I can't even think of what my options are right now. If I don't feel good, you know, like that's not going to serve anybody. Right. Right. So you have kind of made a pretty strong connection between stress and fatigue and self-care and conception. Um, For a lot of women, that's still kind of a foreign concept. And I wonder if you can talk about that a little bit. The the what? I'm sorry, you cut out a little bit. The the concept of what? The, The connections between stress and fatigue and self-care and conception yeah yeah Yeah. well you know what's interesting is that I unfortunately you know like the people that I did tell about my process the only thing they kept telling me was that I needed a break because I, I work a lot I work all the time I'm always traveling I'm I'm traveling about two, two weeks out of the month, most of the time. And the remedy that everybody kept telling me was that I needed to slow down, that I needed to stop. And I just refused to believe that that was the case. But Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, every time I would slow down, those were the moments that I did in fact get pregnant was when I would take that time off or I would slow down and, um, the, the problem was for me at the time was to really establish like a routine and a sort of, uh, projected calendar where I, for my business with what I do, I have to be able to plan things way in advance. And when you're respectively trying to sort of manifest a a child into your life. Like you have to think in advance. You have to think, Oh, well, what's going to happen if it happens this month and nine months from now, what am I going to be doing? I need to um, block my calendar out or I need to create space. I need to get a little bit more rest. But then when it wouldn't happen, I would just complete, I would do the opposite and I would pack my calendar like too much where I was just, that's what I was saying that I was pushing myself, And I was starting to feel like my body was feeling a little bit abused. You know, I flew at one point, I flew back from Bali. I flew all the way to Bali for four days to fly right back to LA to drive to San Diego, to come back to LA, to fly to Europe for four days, to come back to the East coast, to come back to the West coast, to fly up to Portland, like just putting my body through what normal people would say that, you know, perhaps that's, that's the reason why what's happening to your body is happening, you know, but again, at the end of the day, like, is it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I, I don't know. I know for a fact that it is, it's not healthy and it did not serve my emotional state at all. Yeah. I think that definitely taking time off and just giving myself the space to breathe really allowed me to get the clarity that I needed to actually realize that I was going through something that I couldn't necessarily articulate that I maybe didn't really necessarily want to talk about at the time, but it just gave me time to settle down and to really take stock of what I wanted to do and, and what I wanted to create and what I wanted it to look like for me. So you talked about, entering into a period of depression and I'm wondering has that lifted have you found ways to emerge from that yeah I mean uh December 31st I think was like it for me (laughs) like it almost seems that the minute that the clock struck to come to January 1st, 2020 it just completely I want to say I'm like it completely dissipated and it's all gone now um I think I had so really believed that that 2019 was not a great year and I just wanted it to be over. I think I was already creating a new feeling of hope and expansion and 
less tension for this new year that coming to the end of last year, I was already starting to feel the layers shedding from my body and just my heart. It just started to feel like lighter in the minute that I wrote that blog and shared about it. I just wanted to leave that resonating heavy energy where it was, you know, I just wanted to leave it there. And I started to just do things that fed me that made me feel good. And and I started to let go of the desire of wanting something to be a certain way, mm-hmm. you know, the expectation of what I thought my life was going to look like is not going to look like that right now. And that's okay. Yeah. And just doing some work around just talking about it more and, and being so open and, and like not afraid of talking about how I feel has really helped me understand what I was going through. It's hard because when you're like going through it in the depth of sadness or, or in a, in a depressed, depressive state, you don't actually know for me anyway, I didn't know that I was depressed mm-hmm. until I was coming out of it where I realized I'm like, Oh wow, that was, that sucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was not, that was not ideal. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think that for me now it's, it's so, sorry. Chowder's drinking water. Can you hear him? He is so loud. I am so sorry. <laughs> we like puppies. Remember? Oh, it's always done. <laughs> right. He's just, he's parched this little boy. So yeah, that was, I think it's, it's been a work in progress. I will say that since December to now I've, I feel completely like a different person and it could be for a plethora of reasons. It could be just the start of the new year, given me a new outlook and I've shared about my process more and I've, I've written about it more. I've, I've been able to just really take stock of my life and not have that letting go of the expectation of getting pregnant was a huge weight lifted off of my shoulders because I didn't feel like I was waiting for something to happen. And it just, it feels so much better. I I really just feel like I, I have way less tension in my body, in my mind, in my heart. Hmm. I'm really glad that you're writing and talking about it because, you know, similar to the topic of miscarriage, there is this mm-hmm. perception that women aren't supposed to talk about these magnificently huge life experiences. And what ends up happening is women go through it all alone. You know, like there's the, the myth that you're not supposed to tell anyone you're pregnant until you're past 12 weeks, because what if you miscarry? Well, what if you do? It happens. It's so normal. Like 20% of pregnancies happen that way. And why is it that women have to be alone in that? It, it kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, part of it is what we were talking about earlier, where you don't really need everybody's advice and sympathy and all of that, but Part of it is also a layer of shame that gets placed on women for not meeting certain societal expectations. And so then women yeah. kind of embody that and feel like they're failing when they're not. They're just yeah. not. And so I'm I'm grateful when people like yourself are willing to share that experience And I think that you and I have talked before about how when someone is willing to intentionally write and share their story, I think that a big part of it is not so much about the writer, but that there is a reader out there who needs it. There's somebody out there who needs what you have written. Otherwise, you would have kept it in your head, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And it's, and yeah, it's, it's a lot easier to keep it in your head. <laughs> yes, it definitely it is. is. Yeah. Yeah. It I'm, is. I'm and then I it is, you know, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause it bats around in there in your head and it takes up so much space and, <sighs> you know, once you let it out, give it some air, 
then there's room for other thoughts and feelings. Yeah, so Rosie, you and I have been on the line for quite a bit here, but I do have a few more questions that I want to ask you. Most, okay. Im most importantly is, what else do you want women to know about this experience you're going through? Oh, well, I want women out there who are going through this to know that they're not alone, that they're not broken, that they are so loved that they will feel happiness and joy and that I don't, I don't like to should on people, but that there's no, there's no shame about going through what you're going through in this moment. You're not broken yeah. and you are a resilient, beautiful, strong woman. That's, that's what I would want them to know. So I always do the last three rapid fire roundup questions, but right before that, where can listeners learn more about you? Oh, hello. Hi. Did you, can you hear me? So. Oh yeah. You cut out, you cut out after you said rapid question and then it so cut out. Before we do my last three rapid fire questions, where can listeners learn more about you? Oh, they can go to my website, radicallyloved.com or rosieacosta.com. It all goes to the same, same place. They can uh, follow me on Instagram at rosieacosta or on Twitter at rosieacosta. And uh, yeah, all my information's there. I do uh, two international retreats a year. I do workshops all over. We're doing a workshop together. I know, you uh, and me, girl. Jamie. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited. I'm, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty accessible to anyone and yeah. everyone. Yeah, so up here in Portland, February 22nd, my favorite date. If um, yes. listeners are, are in the area here, Rosie and I are teaming up on a yoga meditation and writing workshop and um, mm -hmm. yeah, come and see us. So our last three questions, what role does feminism play in your life? It, it plays a huge role. I I'm like a feminist through and through. I, I believe everybody's consciousness is a woman. And I think that there's something to be said about that. Um, I think feminism is not something to be practiced just by women of the physical form. I believe that everybody could be a feminist. And I think that for me, it's just honoring the person that I see in the mirror every day. Good answer. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me that. <laughs> oh that <laughs> was just so random oh my god I don't even know if I want to say this out loud that, say it that say it say it much, that that you eating too much popcorn can constipate that's a good one you said the first you said the first thing that comes yep. to your mind yeah that's I a good one was like had I known you know <laughs> Okay, this last question, I want to preface it for you. You can answer it in terms of anything you want. Where are you in the world of motherhood? Where? Oh, okay. Hmm. It's a hard one. I, I see. Yeah, it's so hard. I I feel like I've been mothering my entire life. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. I feel like I've been mothering adults since I was a child. Yeah. And that comes that comes from having a father that is an alcoholic and dealing with family members that have been addicted to drugs. Um having family members that don't know how to speak a language, you know, mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like I've been mothering my entire life and, and I, I am such a nurturing person and by nature. And 
and I love it. I, I love to take care of people. It's, it's, I mean, it's really what I, what I do for a living. It really uh, gives me a deep sense of connection to uh, my higher power, to Sark, to God, to whatever higher power people understand their higher power is. Mm-hmm. For me, that's, that's what mothering is. That's how I see myself in the scope of mothering. I feel like I'm an incredible dog mom. My dogs love me and I love them. And I, I'm i excited to, to be a mom to my child, however my child decides to come to me in this lifetime. I'm, I'm so looking forward to that day. Well, that's a great answer. I love that. Well, Rosie, it's time for us to say goodbye, but I think you and I are going to talk again and again and again. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of this with us. We'll talk again soon. Thank you so much, Jeannie. You're the best. You too. Bye. Okay, that's it for this week, folks. You can learn more about Rosie at radicallyloved.com. And you know you can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. Yes, I'll spell it. J-E-A-N-N-E. F as in Frank, A-U-L-K-N-E-R dot com. You can also find us over on Instagram at Common Sense Pregnancy. We're on Facebook as Common Sense Pregnancy Parenting and Politics. And of course, on my website at jeanfaulkner.com. Uh, email me your questions at jean at jeanfaulkner.com. And while you're over there on the website, pick up your copy of Mom's Side of the Story and start writing. Lord knows everyone else is on your health care team is writing about you. It's your turn. We'll talk again next week, everybody. As always, thanks for being part of this conversation. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be